as we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Um, Father in heaven, we're grateful, as always, I trust, to come to the scripture. So please now attend this word, Holy Spirit, in such a way that um, we hear it, of course, with our ears, but even more so that you would give us, as Jesus mentioned, ears to hear eyes to see, we may believe and that this would then work in our lives in such a way that we'd see it, we'd see the outcome of our faith, even as we live this, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to Ephesians in chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 please, I want to read um, Verses 1 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, please. Verses 1 through 16. This is the word of God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this question that comes from this passage, how is it that we're to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called? How is it? that we walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. If you're a Christian, that's a question that should be in your mind. How do I live? How do I live as a believer, as a follower of Jesus? And, and it falls directly, of course, out of verse 1. I therefore, uh, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling uh, to which you have been called. That's, that's, that's Paul's theme now as he progresses through this letter, uh, it will take him these next few chapters to un, 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 unpack that. You'll notice 
that uh, he begins with the word therefore, uh, which is Paul's way of saying that in order to get what I'm about to say, you must have already gotten what I already did say, right? Therefore, he's saying what I'm about to say is completely based upon what I have already said. It's a sense in which he would say, don't start here, right? You needed to start back where I began. And so you need to get that in order to get where uh, I'm going. It's logical, of course, you see, because Paul in the opening chapters gave us what we might call the theology of the doctrine of what it means to be a Christian. Tells us what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So he begins there with this doctrine. And now he's about to tell us how to apply that. What that means in the course of of our lives. I say it's logical because many, if you've taken classes in school, the university, many classes are, are based on this same model. Here's the theory. Now, here's the practice. Right. Uh, it goes all the way uh, from the humanities to the sciences, all the way from music to physics. Uh, here's the here's how we understand this theoretically. Now, this is what it means in the course of, of how we how we how we how we work, how we understand, how we do our lives. So very much that same kind of, uh, of model. And, and Paul's point is that if you just get the doctrine, if you just get chapters one through three of this letter and, and it doesn't influence it doesn't affect it doesn't really dictate how you live then you've missed the point you can't truncate it there you can't stop there it's leading to something i told you all of this so that you can be grounded so that then you could know how to live right in fact we we saw that some time ago when we were working our way through a little book called titus in the new testament just in the opening verses of of, of Paul's letter to, to Titus, verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. He says, he says, he says I'm an apostle uh, so that I can, I can teach you the truth. But please understand that the truth I teach you strikes the same chord, accords with, Strikes the same chord with, is consistent with godliness. So what I'm teaching you can't be divorced from, disassociated from godliness. Truth that accords with godliness always go together. And so he's saying in a, 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 something similar. He's saying, so if you just have the doctrine but no godliness, you're missing the point of it. Now, if, if you only have this good conduct, or at least what you think is good conduct, but nothing to base that on, no foundational truth, no good theology about who God is, who we are, what Christ has done, then, then you're missing it too. These two things must go together. In fact, I was reading recently on a news feed the title of a book that I haven't read. I ordered it. And I will read it. And if I'm wrong about it, I'll repent publicly. I hope that I, I actually hope I can repent publicly because I don't anticipate much from this book. But, but the title could be gripping. The title is this, The Way of Jesus Living a Spiritual and Ethical Life. I know this author some. And I don't think he's going to base this spiritual and ethical life on who Jesus is and what he did. He's going to base what he calls this ethical, this moral life 
on, on what he thinks Jesus' teachings were about how to live, essentially, my guess is, that he'll talk a great deal about how we're to love one another, right? But, but, but Paul would say, well, whoa, there's a cart before a horse there, a horse, but I don't know how that goes. But you're getting, you're, you're, you're getting the order wrong here. That you can't just start there with how we live. You've got to figure out, you've got to know who Jesus is and what he's done. You have to base your life upon this one who is the Son of God. This one who gave his life as a ransom for many, so that the ones for whom he gave his life, those who would believe, could be free from the penalty and power of sin, the dominion of sin, that would free them then to live this life without the freedom that Christ's atoning death brings, then this trying to live this moral, ethical life either is simply a legalism or a moralism. It's a legalism that says, oh, if you live this way, then God will accept you. Paul saying, no, 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 you've missed it. Or moralism to say all it matters is that we love. Paul goes, well, yeah, that does matter. But the only way to get there <laughs> is through this work of Christ and his spirit within you. And so simply, if you try to live this moral life, either you'll, you'll end up being prideful and self-righteous. Look at me. Look, I can do this. Or you'll end up living a life of delusion. By that, I mean you deflate the real commands of God into something that's doable in your own mind and you'll inflate your own idea about your own ability and your own goodness to be able to do all of that. So it'll either be a life of pride or it'll be a life of delusion. Most likely it'll be a life of frustration. And so Paul's saying, no, no, no. The life you live, which is what he's about to describe for us, how do we walk, how do we live in a manner worthy of this calling? How do we live in such a way that accords with this truth that he's given to us in the opening chapters of Ephesians? Um, you remember, just by way of quick review, since we have a therefore here, we need to, to look back. You, you remember what he's talking about. He's saying the whole plan of God is that he is uniting everything in Christ. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And he's uniting everything in Christ. Uniting, you see, because everything's been divided by sin. So in Christ, he's uniting. And in, in this union, it's uniting is uniting people with God, reconciling people to God through the work of Christ. And also uniting people with each other. We're united with God through Christ, but we're also united with each other. We're also reconciled with each other uh, through him. Uh, we get the reconciliation with God in these uh, chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 3, 14, 3 through uh, 14. We get the, the uniting with each other, most particularly in chapter 2, 11 uh, through 22. We've been through all of that, but, but think about that. And if you haven't been through that recently, uh, read through that. We're united, we're reconciled to God through Christ, and we're also then reconciled, uh, reconciled with, with each other. In chapter 2, this fantastic expression that he's making two into one, two into one, two men into one, one community uh, out of two. And he says so much so we can say now that we're, we're fellow members of, of, of the 
kingdom of heaven. We're fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven. All together, Jew and Gentile, all together, all through Christ. We're fellow members of his household. We have one father. We're brothers and sisters together. And then this fantastic statement that we're the very dwelling place of God. Together, joined together to be the place where God lives. So he says that that's, that's what has happened here. And now, how do you live like that? How do you live as been one who's been reconciled to God? How do you live as one who's been adopted into the very family of God? How do you live as a child of God? How do you live as an heir of God? How do you live as one forgiven? How do you live as one redeemed, freed from the penalty and power of sin? How do you live sealed with the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? And then how do we live together? How do we live as those who have been separate, those who have been different, and now united together into one community, one man, as he puts it, one person? How do, how do we live now like that as, as fellow citizens? How do we live fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven? How do we live as fellow members of the household of God? How do we live as the temple of God, the very dwelling place of God? How do we live? What, what manner of life uh, is consistent, you see, with all of that? So now Paul says, therefore, which, which means he's, he's moving from these opening chapters, from doctrine to practice, we might say, or from, from um, exposition to exhortation, uh, or as, as we often say, from uh, orthodoxy, that is true belief, to orthopraxy, which, how do we live that out? Or as some might put it, from an indicative to an imperative, that is indicative, what is true about God, what God has done, and then the imperative, uh, what is true for us, what God commands us to do. Uh, and then as one put it, uh, John Stott puts it like this, he says, from mind-strengthening theology to down-to-earth, correct implications for everyday living. All right? So we're going to, he says, from mind-strengthening theology, chapters 1 through 3, to down-to-earth correct implications for everyday living. He says we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So the question then is, what's that calling? What's that calling? Now, it's fascinating, isn't it? That when Paul refers to the Christian life, he calls it a calling. Don't miss that. See, a calling is something that's initiated by someone else. We're called, we're summoned. I suppose it would be very odd for someone to say, I just called myself, right? You would say, I just called, or you would say, did you call me? I mean, that's the sense of, of calling. And in, when Paul calls the Christian life a calling, he's saying that it, in, it has been initiated outside of us, that is initiated by God, that God has called us. That's very clear from everything we've seen so far. In fact, the opening verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, that uh, uh, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, it began then, this sense that God was initiating something towards his, towards his people. He predestined us in love to be adopted. And so our destiny's already laid out. So he calls us to that destiny to be children of God. All of this initiated, you see, uh, by God coming from outside of us uh, to us. It's, it's always interesting uh, Ministry. In fact, I don't have time for this, but all of our 
vocations or callings, but, but especially as people think of people in the ministry, they call it, they say, well, he has a calling. And, and, and so we try to dissect that a little bit to help at least people trying to discern this calling. And so we talk about an external call for pastors. That means it comes from outside of you, comes from God through the church. This external calling from God through the church. That is to say, is there a church that's calling you into this work? And so that's, that's one indicator. And then the next expression is that there's an internal call. Now, the danger with that is it sounds like you're calling yourself. <laughs> it's an internal call. That's not what it's about at all. It simply means, do you resonate with this external call? Do you, do, do you affirm it? Do you resonate? You're not still ever calling yourself to this. You're being called from outside of yourself, but simply this internal call. What does that mean? Do I receive it? Do I answer it? Is this for me? I'm not calling myself ever. Paul, his point about the Christian life is that it's a work of God in us. He calls us. In fact, this little expression call is, is in the New Testament, a, a rather a technical term uh, name for Christian. Uh, for instance, in Romans in chapter one, this Paul's um, just beginning his letter to the church in Rome. Uh, in verse 6, this is kind of the end of a sentence, but he's speaking to those to whom he writes. And he says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand that as believers, you need, to, you need to have this identity, this understanding of yourself, that you've been called to this. You didn't initiate this. You've been called to this. Then in verse 7, he says, to all those in Rome, he's, he's introducing his letter, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You're loved by God and he's called you now to be saints. That is to be set apart, to be his holy ones, if you will. People belonging to him. It's a calling. God has called us to this. In fact, when he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians and chapter 1, in verse 2, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus. And then in verse 9, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In fact, that's clearly how Paul understands his own life. And in Galatians in chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15, we have this. Paul says, autobiographically, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely jealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So Paul recognizes his own conversion, his own ministry, is that which came outside of himself. He says, he says, he said, God had set me apart before I was born. And then at a particular moment in time, he called me came from outside of me. Do we realize that that's true for us? And again, it, it resonates with everything we've learned so far. Paul's, Paul, Paul's sending out the theology of this because he says we've been chosen by God before the foundations of the world. This is at God's initiation. He's the one who destined us to be his children. 
And, and you go, why did it have to happen that way? Well, he said, I told you why it had to happen that way. Because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no life in you. He said, you were enslaved. You were enslaved to the world. You were enslaved to your own sinful nature. You were enslaved to the devil. And so, so it says, you couldn't do anything. You, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't initiate anything. You wouldn't initiate anything. You didn't want to initiate anything. And he said, I had to do it. And so, so this sense of calling, well, of course, this sense of calling we see, it must be really, it must be really true. In fact, when we call ourselves the church, we recognize that we're the ones who've been called. In fact, in Greek, the little word for church is ecclesia, or ecclesia, depending on, you know, your accent. Uh, but, uh, and ek means out of, kaleo means to call. And so this sense of we gather as the people of God. Why? Because we've been called out. But it's a calling. God summons us out, you see. And how does he do that? He does that. He does that. So forgive me. He does that. By, by the gospel. He calls us out by the gospel, you see. He tells us about Jesus and calls us. And you say, but not everyone who hears the gospel with their ears believes. So what's up with that? And we say, well, there's a couple of different categories for this word call. One is, in a general way, there's a call that goes out where the gospel goes out and we take the gospel. That's our task. That's our job as believers, if you will, that we take the gospel here, there and everywhere. We, we go with the gospel and so we spread it, if you will, preach it, teach it and so forth. That's this general call of the gospel. But, but then there's this also, this specific call that's attended by the Holy Spirit that's effective. In fact, we see that in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. Take a moment and flip back. To 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, please, verse 18. The apostle writes, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So already there we see the split. We see the split. The word of the cross, it's going out. To some, it's, it's folly, and to others, it's the power of God. The difference is, for those for whom it's, to whom it's folly, it, they're perishing to those... Uh, who are being saved, it's the power of God. The apostle says, let me explain. He says, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I'll thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So you say, well, if you're preaching this, and it's a stumbling block to Jews, which means they won't get it. And it's folly to the Gentiles, which means they won't get it. Why in the world are you doing this? Notice what he says. But we preach Christ crucified, verse 23, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So you see this calling, this effective calling that's attended by the Holy Spirit in such a way that when this gospel goes out, this call, this effectual call 
enables those who are called like that to believe. And so Paul says, that's your calling. Your calling is to belong to God through Jesus Christ. Your calling to be in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Your calling is to be one who is holy and blameless in his sight. Your calling is to be one who is his child. Your calling is to be one who is his heir. Your calling is to be one who is sealed with the Holy Spirit in such a way that you know that you are his possession. Your calling then is to live worthy of it. This calling. How do you do that? That's the very... That's the very point of it, you see. I suppose the, and you know, I hope you, I hope, if you're tracking with me, when I say what I'm about to say, you go, I knew he was going to say that. Okay? We've been together a long time, many of us. So you should know that what I would say next is, the best example I know of this in the Bible is Lazarus. Right? There he was, dead, dead. Right? So much so that the scripture says that, he smelled, or as the King James delicately puts it, he stinketh, right? So he's dead, dead. And so how in the world could, could he become alive again? Well, only by the power of God. And how did that power exhibit itself? That power exhibited itself through a call from Jesus when he said, Lazarus, come forth. That was an effective call. It was only effective for Lazarus. I suppose if he just sort of says, come forth, they all would have come. I don't know. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. It was effective. It was particular. And as believers in Jesus, what we need to see is that's happened to us. That that's this calling. For reasons unknown to us, God saw fit as the gospel came to us to call us like Lazarus to give us life that we may receive it and believe it. That's, that's, that's why we get, I get goosebumps when I think of my own faith. It just stops me in my tracks to think such a thing is true. Do you wonder when Lazarus was raised if, you know, there are other tombs around, I suppose, uh, and, and the other folks who might have had loved ones in the tomb. Why didn't you? Call? I, I don't know. <laughs> but he called Lazarus and it was effective. And it's been effective uh, in our lives. And so that's this sense. That's what Paul says. Now you've been called. God has done something in your life. You are new. You are different. You are changed. You're not like you were before because before you were dead, before you were enslaved. You're no longer dead. You have life. You're no longer enslaved to sin. Uh, you're freed from its penalty and power. So, so now the big question is, how should we live in the context of that calling? And so Paul says, you need to walk worthy of it. He says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now you have to be careful always with that word worthy. Because we often think through a lens of self-attainment. Self-achievement. And so my, my first pass quickly about, around the word worthy, to walk worthy, is I think, well, what that means is then I need to prove myself worthy. 
or, 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 or I need to be worthy of it, which means I, I better clean up my act, I better live in such a way that, that then I deserve to be called by God. And the apostle would go, no, 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 you missed the point altogether. I don't mean that at all. Because he said, haven't you been paying attention? That's why I said, therefore. That's why I can use these words now, like worthy, because I already, I already told you the fact that you're dead in trespasses and sins. I already told you that before you were made alive, uh, you were dead. I already told you before you were set free, you were enslaved. And, and that call came before you did anything. You did nothing to make yourself Worthy of that in that sense. But now that you've been called, now that you've been freed, now that you have this life, he says, now I want you to live worthy of it. That is consistent with this calling. I want your life to reflect that calling. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher from another generation, I quote often, as you know, um, gives us a couple of, uh, of helpful, I think, pictures of this word worthy. Um, he says, first of all, think of it like a scale. Uh, not like the scale we have in our bathroom that we hate. <laughs> At least I hate mine. Uh, it lies. I'm sure of it. Um, but, uh, but, but the old-fashioned kind of scale with a post and two trays that are attached, right? You, can you picture that? You can, I, went, I just want to see if you look up there. Uh, I'd never do that. I don't like those kinds of things. Anyway, but picture in your mind this scale. But for those who did look, thanks for thinking I was cool enough to actually know how to do that. Uh, but the scale, a post in the middle, right, and two trays on either side. So uh, to weigh something, you take a standard, say something that weighs 10 pounds, and you put it on the one side. And you know what happens when you do that? Well, that side, that tray goes down and the other tray goes up. Well, then you begin filling the tray that's gone up. And what happens? They start to balance out. And... Then once they're balanced, then you know they're, they weigh the same. So you know what's on the right uh, is 10 pounds because the standard was 10 pounds. So what Paul is saying here is that we've received this, we've received this calling. Now he said your life should balance that calling. It should be consistent with that calling. It should, it should, be, it should, it, it should balance it out. So people would go, oh yes, here's, here's this doctrine here's this truth and yes here's this life and they go together you see they're they're balanced we're not to live in such a way that's an imbalance with it he gives another picture like this he says it's like when you get dressed when you get up in the morning or when maybe it's in the afternoon that you get dressed i don't I'm not making any judgments but uh, whenever you get dressed in the day, you're, you're dressing for the day. And he says, so, so the way that you dress needs to match, first of all, the clothing. If you're going to be consistent, your clothing should match. At least that used to be true. I don't know if it still is. Your clothing should match. Uh, and your clothing should match where you're going to go and perhaps even the weather. Right? So you can look at all of that and you can say, well, that person thought about this. That person's clothing matches. So if you wear a blue suit, I suppose your shirt and your tie and your socks and your shoes should all match that, uh, that suit. And if it's raining outside, then you should probably have an umbrella or a rain uh, coat of some kind. And, uh, and, and if you're going to a formal occasion, then the way that your dress should reflect that. If you're going to an informal occasion, it should reflect that. But it should match. All of that together. He says, well, that's true too. You see, as a believer, our lives should match our calling. 
To state it negatively, our lives shouldn't clash with our calling. I mentioned already from Titus in chapter 1 that, that, that Paul relates the truth with godliness, that they strike the same chord, that they match together, they don't clash. There's no clanging in this calling and our lives. So Paul, in the same letter, would go on in chapter 2, as he writes to Titus and he says, But as for you, teach what accords with, what strikes the same chord with, that's consistent with sound doctrine. He says there's a life that's consistent with his sound doctrine. So he goes on and he says, here's how older men are supposed to live. Here's how older women are supposed to live. For older men, you're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. That's the balance of an old man's life who's a Christian. Right? That balances the call, that lives consistent with the call, that fits with the call, that matches the call, that doesn't clash with the call. He says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine, and they're to teach what is good and to train the young women. That's what accords with the doctrine, the godliness, the, the truth. That's the godliness that accords with the truth, that balances, that doesn't clash. In fact, he goes on so far as to talk about even younger men and younger women and even those who are bond slaves. And then in verse 10, he kind of gives a bit of a summary. He says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's the same point Paul's making in Ephesians. You have a calling, live like that. You have a calling, live that doesn't clash with that. You have this calling, so live in balance with that. Live consistent with that. Uh, That's... That's his point. So what we'll take up uh, in the coming months is how we live consistent with his calling. How do we live fitting with it? So in chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, what we'll find is that Paul saying we need, need to live in unity with each other. We're to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what he says in verse 3. And on this day of Pentecost, I just think about the fact, yes, that's a work of the Spirit, clearly, that he's the one who joined us together as the body of Christ. And so now what Paul's saying is that's already happened. You're already joined together. Now live that out. Maintain this unity of the Spirit, this unity of the Spirit that's already there. He's already joined you together. Join you together. You're joined together. So now maintain that unity in the bond of peace. Sometimes as I talk with husbands and wives are going through difficulty. I have to say, now, remember this. You've already been joined together. God has done that. Now live it out. The way you're living now isn't an option with that. It's clashing with that. It isn't in balance with that. So now live that out, you see. It's already, and he's telling us it's already happened. We're already together. We're already the household of God. We're already fellow citizens in his kingdom. We're already uh, being built together as the dwelling place of God. So now work that out. Now live together. Maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so he's saying, listen, your calling is to be unity. When you live in disharmony with each other as the church, you're clashing with that which is true. When you're living in disharmony with each other as the church, you're out of whack. You're out of balance. That's what we'll learn there.
And then beginning in chapter, in verse 17 of chapter 4 uh, through chapter 5, verse 21, he's going to talk about that we're to live in purity. We're to live pure lives. I suppose key verses there, verse 20, 22 in chapter 4, he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying, now to live in purity, you have to live in unity. I'm sorry, to live in unity, you have to live in purity. He said, this purity, you see, is necessary if you're going to live consistent with who you are. So if you're lying, you're imbalanced, you're clashing with your calling. If you're cheating one another, if you're speaking ill of one another, if you lack compassion and mercy, if you're not forgiving each other, and you see you're clashing with who you are, who God has made you to be. So he says, no, no, that isn't the manner of life that's consistent with being a believer in and a follower of Christ who will go on to say you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then beginning in verse 22 through chapter 6 and verse 9, he's going to apply this to particular relationships. And he's going to say, there's a manner of life for Christian husbands and wives to follow. There's a particular way of living that husbands and wives are, are to, 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 to live out in order to relate in a way that's balanced with the calling, that, that isn't clashing with the calling. And so he's going to walk that through. And he says, there's, there's, there's also a manner of life for children and parents to live so that they're not clashing, but they're balanced together. He's going to say there's a, there's a, a manner of life for bond servants and, and, and their masters, or what we would say for workers and their bosses to live as Christians in such a way that is consistent with being a follower of Jesus, being one who's been called by him. And then finally, beginning in verse 10, chapter 6, he's saying, there's a way, a manner of life to live in a world where an evil one prowls around, Satan himself. And there's a way, there's a manner of life to live, to deal with the temptations that come. Now, we'll get to all that. Today, I just want to introduce it and say two things. Number one, I wish I could tell you this is easy. I wish I could tell you that once you become a Christian, that Christ-like virtues ooze out of your life. But we know from experience and from Scripture itself if that isn't the case, we're growing in this all the time. So we read, even in this passage, that we're to take off and put on. And, and that is not an easy thing to do. To take off the old and put on uh, the new. Um, we realize in the concept, context of relationships for husbands and wives, we read that husbands are to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. To realize that wives are to submit to their husbands and everything as unto the Lord. Both husbands and wives ought to be going, how do I do that? Right? Children obeying your parents and parents being parents in such a way as not to, to, to exasperate your children. And how is it that I, I work? And how is it that I employ in such a way that shows Christ, you see? 
And then how do I stand before this evil one? He says, well, you've got to put on all this armor and you've got to pray at all times. So this is always a danger. So, so here's how to live that out. And so I, I can't tell you that it's going to be easy, but I trust as we work our way through these passages that it will be a great help to us in the midst of it. And then secondly, let me just ask you, as we prepare to walk through this, to take an inventory of your life this week. To find a place, to find a time to very calmly but resolutely ask yourself, am I living like this? Well, I know the truth about Jesus. I know what he's done. I know this calling to, to, to live holy and blameless in his sight. I know this calling uh, to, to live as his child. I know this calling to live forgiven. I know this calling to live redeemed. I know this calling to be sealed with his spirit. I know this calling to be joined together with his body and to live as fellow citizens and, and fellow members of the family of God in the dwelling place. I know all of that. I, I know it. Now, the question is, am I? Am I living like that? Am I living like that in relationship? If I'm a husband, am I living like that in relationship with my wife? If I'm a wife, am I living like that in relationship with my husband? If I'm a child, am I living like that in relationship with my parents? If I'm a parent, am I living like that in relationship with my children? Uh, As I live in this world, how is it that I face the temptations that come from the evil one? How, How am I doing there? And to just take an inventory of your life, not to be morbid, not to be self destructive, but, but just to be honest about that. And my suspicion is, if you're honest about that, you'll say, well, in some places, yes, and in some places, no. And in the yes places, give thanks to God. Right? Thank you. And reflect back on the coming of the Spirit who is enabling you to do this. And to give thanks. And then what places you're not, recognize it. Be honest about it. Confess it. Receive forgiveness. Repent. Ask the Spirit to help you live this out in a way that balances with your call, that's consistent with your call, that doesn't clash with your call. It's being a child of God, right? And then pray that in these months that come before us, I suspect it'll take that for us to work our way through these passages. That God will for you, not only you, but for all of us together, transform us. Oh, we do this. We're we're not, it's like this is the first time we thought about this. But to, to continue to unify us, to continue to purify us. In fact, let me pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I do pray for all of us together. That is Grace Church, that you would work in such a way in us right now and certainly in the months and even years to come. That you would work this truth in us. To know that you have called us, to know that you have initiated everything with us. That you, We know that without you, none of this would have been accomplished in our lives. We give you thanks. Choosing us in Christ before the foundations of the world to setting a destiny in love for us, that we would be your children for saving us. We know without you we're simply dead in trespasses and sins. We're enslaved to sin and its power and penalty. But yet Christ has redeemed us, brought us back, broken the power of all of that, and 
Your spirit has come upon us in such a way to call us that we can hear this call and, and move from death to life. So, Father, I pray now for us. Whatever our circumstance of life may be, whether it's a time of grief or whether it's a time of happiness or whether it's a time of sickness or whether it's a time of health or whether it's a time of need financially or a time of prosperity financially, whether it's a time of great friendships or strained friendships, whether it's a time of peace or a time when things seem hectic. Whatever the time of our life may be, I pray, God, that you would work in us unity as your people. That you would work in us purity. That we may walk in such a way that is pleasing to you. That we may live in a state of power by your grace we may withstand the evil one in the days in which we live please I pray be with us help us in this grant please a sense of progress help us to see that yes you are at work among us And yet convict us that we may be honest about our lives, particularly our life together. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.